Hello, 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 Power Kids, and welcome to another Power Kid podcast. Guys, every week it is my honor, privilege, and joy to come on here and to bring you great conversations with great people all over the world making awesome product for kids. I'm super excited about our show today. I have Wes Harden on the line. Let me introduce you to Wes. He is the CEO and owner of Diverse Marketing. They are a nationally renowned sales agency and a leader in the specialty toy, gift, sport, and key account industry. Since 1959, they have offered the retail market a curated catalog of the best toys, gifts, and sports products. They manage showrooms across the world, including Atlanta, Dallas, two in Minneapolis, Las Vegas, Bentonville, New York, Seattle, and staff almost 200 toy and gift reps. Wes, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, sir. A pleasure to have you on. Uh, We're going to start a little bit of a different way in this show. We're going to talk about 1959 and what was the inspiration for Diverse at that time. And that's going to lead us into the conversation about how you became involved in the toy industry. And I'm not sure you remember a time when you weren't involved in the toy industry. So so let's have at it. Diverse marketing starts in 1959. Take us back to that time. What's the history? Who are the players and why diverse? Yeah, no, uh, it, it's it's an interesting start to our company. Uh, some of it uh, coincidence and, and, and some happenstance. But uh, my grandfather, Edward Everett Harden III, had uh, left the Korean War in the, the early 50s and went to work for a, a company called Stratton Hardware. It was a, uh, har- a small hardware chain in, in Tennessee. And, you know, in the 50s, the toy industry was re- was really getting going at that time. You know, after, uh, you know, before World War II, uh, you know, the, the size of the toy industry was, was a lot smaller. You know, a lot of these factories uh, post-war were looking for something to mass produce. And, uh, you know, obviously the, the television advertising landscape became, you know, very prolific at that time. Many brands that you see today that uh, it started in, in, in the 50s. So the toy industry, you know, be, you know, being the toy buyer at Stratton Hardware became a, you know, a pretty easy job. And, and there was a lot of expansion going on really east of the Mississippi before that time uh, in, in, the, in the toy industry. Uh, he was the buyer for a few years, and then in 1958 was approached by what was called at that time a drummer. Um, a drummer is what we now call sales reps, but they called them drummers then, as before there were trademarks. Uh, a sales rep would carry a big drum uh, with samples, either on a train or eventually in their car, and that's how and that's how they would sell product. So he uh, he hired Ed to start a division of his company in, uh, in an up and coming city called Dallas. Um, <laughs> at that time, Dallas was not what it was today. Um, a very, very new city, but centrally located in the United States and, 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 and was becoming a, a place to be, uh, for, for many reasons, uh, you know, first cotton, then cattle, then oil, then financial, you know, I guess redistricting. We got the fed in the, in the late 1930s. Um, so, so they hired him to move to Dallas in um, late 1950, early 1959, to uh, be one of the first showrooms at the newly constructed Trademart. Uh, at that time, the Trademart was the biggest wholesale market um, in the 
in the industry, in any industry, it was it was a hugely prolific building built by Trammell Crow, which is now it's still owned by now what is now Crow Holdings, and um, they saw an opportunity in a disrupt in a disruptive environment. You know, people were drummers were deathly afraid of the trademark model. They thought the that would be the end of all salespeople. Hmm. Why in the world would you deal with any salesman if you could simply go to a wholesale mart to do all your shopping? So if that if that fear sounds familiar, it's because there have been many, many, many disruptors throughout the um, <laughs> the evolution of our family business. And every time there's a disruptor, everyone acts like it's the first one that's ever been here. But Ed saw opportunity and disruption, as we have many times over the years. So he moved uh, and moved in as, like I said, one of the first tenants in the trademark uh, here in Dallas. It's still open today and lots of showrooms are, are in it. And uh, start it started uh, a division of this of this man's um, a, you know drumming company. Six months into the gig, the man passed away, and uh, Ed had relationships with the suppliers that um, that he began to work with. And so, what is now called diverse marketing was was born. Um, and uh, he he built it from there. He represented you know Kenner and lots of different um, companies that are now Mattel and Hasbro and you know, Spin Master and Jack Specific and um, a lot of those over the years. So I think the inspiration um, originally was one of opportunity in a new and new up and coming city and in a very new and fresh up and coming industry, that being the toy industry. And um, I guess seeing opportunity and what most people were afraid of, and that was uh, the wholesale marketplace. Yeah. Yeah. Well, providing that service, though, you know, we talked about disruption and, and what keeps you alive during that disruption. Buyers just do not have the time to hunt down all of the items, all of the vendors that they want to see. And so, you know, th- this is this is that rep model. And I, I love the term drummer. I'm not sure we shouldn't bring that back. That's a that's a lot of fun. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. a lot more fun than sales rep. Um, but but the idea of of someone that brings you ideas, that brings you information, that brings you trends data and prepares toy store owners or the buyers for upcoming shows that is invaluable and i think that's that's what was seen early on here it sounds like to me am i, am I keying in on that right yeah i mean in every as times have changed there's there, there's always been you know a moment where the idea of a sales rep has changed but ultimately at the end of the day buyers are busy you know the buyers always appreciate a consultant on I uh, you know to help them in their business and ways to grow their business I, I feel you know now like I did 20 years ago when I when I was told by my father Greg Hard not to join the business because the internet was going to kill us um, it, that was the disruptor of that time I feel even more so today coming off the biggest year in our 64 year history last year after covid which I believe to be the biggest disruptor we have ever seen um, that the future is very bright in some way or another for, you know, a sales, a sales agent to help, to help retail buyers. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And, and we'll, we'll get more into that later in the show, but let, let's get into how you entered in was, was the toy industry, the specialty toy, the gift market. Was that always a part of you just growing up? I mean, it sounds like you just had massive exposure to this uh, probably as far back as you can remember. How did you get into it? 
Yeah. So what, my, my first memory and, you know, I, on, on my LinkedIn, as you can see, I begin my experience at diverse marketing in 1979. And that's, you know, the year I was born. Some of that is uh, a little tongue in cheek, but uh, 1979 to 1992 is my first segment. And that's the segment of my life where I knew diverse marketing from afar. I had, I had no um, memory of working at diverse marketing until 1922. And that entire uh, time period was interacting with people that did work there. So some of my earliest memories are of my grandfather telling me about his month long trip to toy fair every year. It sounds crazy, but it, it, until the mid eighties, right. that's about how long people went to toy fair. You had to write out all your orders for the whole year. Um, now, um, he, he'd li- he liked to leave out the part where he didn't do anything a month after toy fair, <laughs> but you could you would do pretty much, you know, six months worth of work, um, in, in a very confined period of time. And, uh, he would tell me what he, you know, he would do from day to day and he would always, you know, bring back something, um, for me. And I, I, I love, I love those memories of, of, of the toy industry as, as a young toy consumer. And then as I uh, got through the late 80s, I would come up to our showroom, which at that time had moved from the trademark to the World Trade Center, which is still here connected and where our office is today, to the trademark where our offices began. Um, it, it was constructed in 1979. So I, w- I would come here. And at that time, my uncle and my, and my grandfather were partners, along with a couple of other uh, non-family member partners. And to, to see and to be a part to uh, be a part of the toy industry at that time and to have a connection to the business piece of it was, you know, again, some of the best memories I, I have. Why toys? I'm, I'm just curious from the very beginning, it was about toys and gifts and, and those kind of things. What is it uh, in your family that drives you towards toys? Obviously once you, once you're in, you, you never really get out, but, um, but yeah, what is it about the toy industry that, that diverse wants to, to stick in into that industry and stay there? Well, I think originally it just came from opportunity where my grandfather was a, was a toy buyer and opportunity sort of uh, sprung out from there. And then, uh, you know, as time went on, you know, our continuation into this industry was one of deep roots and, and, and experience and, and, and more than anything, enthusiasm. You know, we didn't really get to the, we didn't get into the gift industry until 2005 when we, we, when we acquired uh, uh, Freeman Force here at the Dallas World Trade Center. So until um, until that time, it was truly only the toy industry. And really, until 1988, it was really only just generally the toy industry. You know, it wasn't until the uh, until Walmart started going to China in the mid in Hong Kong in the mid 80s and established the first super center, which really separated the price differential between, you know, a big account and a small mom and pop, there was no real specialty industry. Um, That term really wasn't used the way we use it today until about 1989, 1988, 1989, where there was a real schism in the, in the toy industry where, uh, you know, the independent retailer really found an opportunity to specialize in things that were a, not at mass, what we call mass and be educational in nature where mass really wasn't paying attention to it, where they're focusing mainly on TV promoted brands at that time. Well, and that was the impetus for the name change diverse, uh, wanting to cover both specialty and mass. Is that right? I think so. I mean, that was some of it. So what happened was, is in in 1992, we had become really a mass market rep company just by uh, osmosis. We sort of drifted that direction. So my uncle and my grandfather owned what they called, Anderson, Hardin, Hild, and Associates at that time. 
1992, my uh, my father, Greg Harden, which was Ed's uh, second son, uh, had left the industry he was in and had bought uh, a specialty toy rep group here at the Dallas Market Center, which happened to be right next to the one Ed and Rhett owned uh, called um, Hugh McConnell and Associates. So in 1992, they acquired that and operated it separately, but joined it under one umbrella. And that's when, when my dad joined the business in, in, in 1992, which was also coincidentally the first year I worked my first summer gift show. I'm here at the <laughs> right. Dallas Market Center for two straight months. I demonstrated toys to all the customers that would give me the time to show them. <laughs> Good times. Well, thanks for the, the history and the background. It's, it's absolutely fascinating. And it's right on the top of your mind. It sounds like you really have, have dived into the history and have understood the history of uh, not just uh, diverse, but also the industry as a whole since that time. So that kind of knowledge of history, no doubt, has served you well as you push in, into the future and into this, what we would consider uh, to some degree an uncertain future with the pandemic. So let's talk about present day. One thing that's unique about Diverse, I think, is that you you break down your sales force into four areas. You've got key account, toy, gift, and sports. Uh, I'd like to talk about the nuances of each of those categories and why that structure has served you well and helped you grow over the years. Well, I think the I think the main reason is that the main reason we silo them out like that is because of the timeline differences. I mean, when, as you know, when when Mass starts looking at product, it's about you know it's even more than a year now um, out from when they really need it, and the and the planning and the places you need to be and at what shows is quite different from specialty toy and quite and it's a different mindset and even more different than gift and and any kind of NFL or collegiate like uh, licensed uh, product. It's just they're all really different worlds with different people and, 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 and salesmen that really need different skill sets. And so the, the production from all four of those divisions has proved to be you know, pretty synergistic. It's just the actual way you manage it and, and, and the types of people you need is just so different. It's easier for us to manage it on the back end separately. We want to talk about, too, the sales rep network and what you look for in a new sales rep, we talked about the different skill sets that are required in each of those categories. And you manage almost 200 uh, sales reps throughout the country. What are you looking for in a sales rep? What are some of the best skills that a sales rep can bring to the table for diverse? Well, you know, it's funny, uh, you know, my managers and I talk about this all the time. And, and uh, I, I think most people that hear it think it's, it's very interesting. But being a good salesperson isn't even in the top five things we look for in a sales <laughs> rep here at Diverse Marketing because we are not selling vacuums door to door. Aggressively uh, convincing someone to buy something from us that has proven to be counterproductive time and time again. We are relationship sellers. We, um, you know, we a lot of our sales reps deal with these customers not not only um, time and time again, but sometimes weekly, um, sometimes even daily. So we look for, uh, I think, number one, someone that's that's very organized. You know, we're a multi-line sales rep organization. If you're not organized, nothing else really matters. So uh, organization skills are, are number one. Uh, we also look for uh, someone that doesn't mind traveling a bit within their territory. Now, albeit the, the geographies are normally in driving distance and not flying distance, and a lot of times not even overnights at this point, uh, but sometimes the occasion calls for it. We also look for someone who likes market. Uh, you know, they're all, you know, albeit not 
more than maybe 10% of their of their total year time spent at market, but it is a very stressful time. And it needs to be someone that really, really enjoys that. But um, I guess number two next to organizational skills is someone with a, for lack of a better term, and what we call good bedside manner. Mm-hmm. Somebody who can identify well with their customer and, um, you know, someone that, that, that is honest, um, you know, reliable and um, someone that can be there for their customers. I mean, I, I would say a lot of our retailers could, you know, would consider their diverse marketing rep one of their better friends. And, um, and, that, and, that's, and that's really where a sales rep really, a diverse marketing really hits their stride. Yeah. Well, and, and critical right now uh, during the disruption of the pandemic, um, you know, we, there was a lot of conversation about the local toy stores and the struggles that they were going through. There were television shows built around that. I had several conversations on this podcast about that exact same thing uh, with the owners of those stores. And so this is really go time for your sales reps. I think they were on the front lines making sure that these toy store owners had what they needed, that they were fulfilling their commitment to their customers, that they were, uh, you know, in in lieu of losing a lot of foot traffic, that they were still offering curbside service or offering just the best products that they could during this time. What kind of experiences did you and your reps have during the pandemic? And uh, and what did you do to support your toy stores? Well, you know, it's interesting, Phil, over the past two years has been, you know, I don't want to overgeneralize any segment. I mean, when we when we started, when everything shut down in mid-March of 2020, I couldn't sleep at night. Many sales reps could not sleep at night. Of course, the toy stores couldn't sleep at night with everything being shut down. You know, there, there was all sorts of talk online about will will there be specialty? Will, will sales reps even be around after this? Will we ever shake hands again? I mean, it's hard to really remember that, you know, even though it was so close. Um, it was you know, it was only two years ago, but I mean, it, it, we nobody knew what was going to happen to our industry. And, um, you know, we would get on uh, Zoom calls weekly uh, to help coach our territory managers on, on how to help their retailers. You know, they're dealing with just as much of a hard time as we are and really being there for them. If you, if you're, if you're ever there for your customer, now's the time. Um, and it was, it was tougher on our sales reps cause they're in it with them. We're all in it together. Um, but you know, as time went on, we, we helped coach a lot of our territory managers on, on the PPP program uh, along with that. And then we started selling masks and hand sanitizer pretty quickly and uh, obviously selling that to retailers created an oppor- opportunity for a lot of those, especially retailers as they were doing curbside uh, to sell something. And suddenly as uh, summer wore on and we got into fall of 2020, the toy industry really started to come back, especially in uh, the Southern, uh, the Southeast, you know, the Midwest, uh, the, those, those States, the restrictions weren't, were coming off quicker and, and the toy industry really started to bounce back. And by Christmas of 2020, we ended up ending the year pretty, you know, pretty close to what 2019 was. Um, that, that's how that's how prolific the, the Christmas season was of 2020 for for all of the toy industry. But specialty really found their way um, even quicker. They're just they're just a little more nimble than some of the mass market retailers for a lot of different reasons. You know, and then we started uh, 2021. It was still very strange. You know, we had our you know trade shows, which we've been having at our permanent market centers ever since uh, COVID began. And a lot of the retailers started to come back. And then we saw the fidget trend appear in January. Um, you know, the, the pop fidget, silicone popper 
trend really, really start. And then eventually anything that had anything to do with fidgeting whatsoever started to get pulled into that vortex. And anything even close to Squishmallow, which has obviously been a huge trend this year, pulled into that vortex. And then suddenly by, I would say, May of 2021, we were doing more business per day by far than we ever had in the 64-year history of this entire company. And, and the industry was just booming, as you know. And we had a new problem. And that new problem was time in the day. And we started to have reps with, with severe burnout, working nights, working weekends, uh, it, it was getting it was getting pretty crazy, and by the summer trade shows of last year at all of our showrooms, we were posting forty percent higher than any trade show we had ever had in company history. And uh, then, and then of course, after the summer, the supply chain uh, problem really started to rear its head, um, even more so than the summer, and that really started to take a toll on a lot of our salespeople. You know, you know, albeit a lot of them were doing you know better financially than they ever have, but. Money only means so much whenever you just get completely and utterly burnt out. Uh, so by the end of this past year, business being just by far the best that it's ever been, we we're still still dealing with, and we, we still are dealing with today, what a lot of people in the industry and in the world are dealing with, and that is just labor. You know, being, I mean, we can't hire people fast enough, and, we, and it's hard to keep people, people's morale high when they're just being overworked. That's right. Well, it was encouraging to see the public turn to toys and games as uh, as an outlet uh, for them, as something that would bring them together as they, um, you know, many had to be in isolation. Games and puzzles just went on a tremendous tear for, you know, 300 uh, percent in some places. Uh, and then the, the comfort of a good fidget. <laughs> yeah. Never underestimate the comfort of a good fidget. Um, so, now it, you know, great background. And I, I, thanks for pulling back the curtain. And, and it, you've, you've really just given us a great overview of the last couple of months in, in the toy uh, industry. For manufacturers out there, uh, whether they work with you or, or maybe they're thinking about working with you, what, what advice can you give them? Um, yes, there are the supply chain issues for sure. But going forward, what are you seeing as some trends in the industry that manufacturers can capitalize on? How would you want manufacturers to reach out to you and work with diverse and just give them some ideas of, of how to promote their products, get them out there and get them sold? Well, the number one thing I would tell anybody in the industry, including manufacturers, is stay positive because, you know, the demand is there. I mean, consumerism is at an all-time high and the and the end consumer wants and needs product. And that's normally the biggest problem we all face whenever there's anything wrong with the with our industry or any industry. So, you know, I, I know it's easy to say whenever, you know, I'm not the one dealing with, uh, you know, the logistics of getting a container, but I, and the prices associated with that, which uh, have been just horrific, as everybody knows. But, um, you know, hopefully at some point it starts to move the other direction and, and, and we alleviate a little pressure there. And as long as consumerism stays where, it, where it's at, we're going to have a, a really great year in this, in this industry. But, I mean, as far as trends, uh, you know, for this year, I mean, I would say the, the fidget trend is still alive and well. We had our uh, January Atlanta show this past week, and that's normally a pretty good litmus test of what is how the year is going to be, but also what the year is going to be in terms of what's going to be selling. Um, that's where I first heard uh, the term popper uh, this past year in, in January of 2021. I saw my first silicone, what looks like bubble wrap popper fidget at that show. 
And, um, you know, so we normally leave that show kind of seeing what's going on. Now, I think the pop fidget trend is waning a bit, but the fidget trend overall, anything handheld and squishy is hotter than it even was this past year. I mean, um, any, any supplier that we have in that space had a monster Atlanta show and most everybody did in general, but in the, in the industry and toy and gift, but, but that the fidget trend, I think will continue throughout this entire year in some way, shape or form. Also the, uh, the, the plush, the plush trend, it, it seems, seems to be still on fire, you know, I mean, Squishmallow and Squishables and, um, and a lot, a lot of the other plush companies gunned, uh, have done a great job. Um, continuing to come out with newness and innovation within the space. And I've, I, I even saw a lot more of a, of a miniaturizing of it too, you know, where, where your squishable or your, or your gun piece was of a certain size. I think that was what the consumer was looking for this past year. I've seen a lot of them continue to miniaturize it. So I think as, as summer goes on and into Christmas, I think you'll see a lot of that. They'll fit, you know, easier into Easter baskets and will, you know, or easier for trading and, and gift giving. But I, I think, I think that's kind of the biggest newish trend I've seen kind of spawn out of the, of the plush collector uh, this past year is just a miniaturizing of it. Yeah. Well, diverse is uh, so close to these trends and you're exposed to such a great cross section of the industry. I always pay attention to your trends and your trend reports and, and watch you guys closely on trends because you, you're spot on many, many times uh pop sockets <laughs> comes to mind that was one that you pushed early and often and it was great to see the growth of that well my favorite part about that is i never wanted to take on that item at all i did it as a <laughs> favor to a friend of mine david fisher which i will always be appreciative of of him you know leveraging uh, uh, our friendship to take that item on in our showroom because uh, it was a new product category nobody knew what it was and nobody understood what it was and I, I, he told me that, you know, to give him a shot and he, he came to our show in 2016 and, um, he would give a pop socket away to any customer that wanted it. And, uh, nine out of 10 people told him no, because he'd have to touch their phone to put it on there. Nobody wanted that. And then <laughs> as time went on, uh, it, man, did that thing catch fire and it was one of the hottest, you know, it's definitely, it may have been the hottest item we have ever sold in company history at that time. But uh, followed quickly by spinners, <laughs> but uh, but it definitely in what we would call the non uh, juvenile space because it's a cell phone accessory, of course, not a toy. But it, it, I I've, I always use that as an example of that I you know nobody knows everything. I didn't even want the item. Items like that that have that kind of high visibility, and what I mean is it's something that you take with you. I mean, pop socket now goes with you everywhere because your phone goes with you everywhere. And every time you pull out your phone, it's visible. People see it. People touch it. They ask, what is that? You know, what's that weird thing on your phone? Um, I love that kind of product, that kind of just organic visibility that you see uh, in the street uh, really makes for a, for a great trend item um, and tremendous sales, no doubt. Uh, Wes, Thank you for coming on. This has been a great uh, unpacking of kind of toy history and the future of toys. What are you excited about? The future of diverse. Um, how are you guys looking to expand uh, any new technologies that you're leveraging in the future? Uh, what's the future look like? Well, it's interesting you say technology. We launched our B2B 14 months ago and and the, the advancement and the use by our customer base has just been astounding. It continues to blow me away every day. I look at the statistics on that thing. 
So I think as uh, time goes on through the next few years, I, I see that as being a, a major vehicle to help all of our sales reps in the field. You know, most of our retailers use it to start an appointment. You know, they'll, they'll start orders on there. And then as the sales rep, you know, gets to their store or, uh, or communicates with them virtually, they use that as, a, as kind of a, a platform to, to start the appointment, which is, which is really helpful. It's cut the appointment time down tremendously. Um, but, but I think that it, I, the most, what I look forward to the most, I think is really two things. Uh, one is continuing to improve, uh, the work environment, our company, you know, I, I really believe that it's our responsibility to provide the best possible workplace for anybody that calls diverse marketing home. So, uh, and I feel today that it's better than it's ever been, but I wake up every day just thinking about what I can do to just improve upon what we do improve upon the place that they all work, improve upon our service to the retailer and our suppliers. And then the second thing is just, I look forward to watching my kids grow up in the same environment as I did. You know, I, I see them come up to the showroom I mean, my son's three and my daughter's two and I, I have one on the way. So they're not really to that moment quite yet where they realize exactly the world that they're living in. But I, I see them up in, in this environment and it really brings back a lot of great memories for me. Um, you know, being in their place at one time. And I just look forward to seeing the fourth generation of our company grow up and, you know, maybe even one day sitting in my chair. There you go. Well, Diverse cares. They care about their employees. They care about their store owners. Uh, they care about their manufacturers. And I think that is one of the ways that uh, that sets you guys apart. Yeah. How can folks reach out to you? Manufacturers reach out, store owners, if they want to make contact, how do you encourage them to get involved and find out more? Well, there's a link on our website, diversemarketing.com, where you can contact us. And then we have our, our email there and, uh, and our contact phone number there. So if you are a supplier and you're in need of representation, especially given the fact that New York Toy Fair has once again been canceled, you know, please reach out to us. You can always reach out to me at my email, WesH at diversemail.com. Everybody's first name, last initial. So W-E-S-H at diversemail.com. And uh, we're always here. Well, guys, reach out for sure. Can't recommend Diverse highly enough. Wes, thank you for coming on the show and talking with us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, sir. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to the Power Kid podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Leave five stars and a written review as this helps us connect with more listeners just like you. Once you're subscribed, you'll be able to check out the other shows from Adventure Media and Events. And a big thank you to them. They are the publishers of the Toy Book, the Toy Insider, and the Pop Insider. We've got you covered on all toy industry news and events. This show is produced by Power Kid Design and Development. We are a full-service toy and game development studio serving the industry for more than 20 years. We provide illustration, branding, packaging, sculpting, prototyping, consulting, and much more. Check out PowerKidDesign.com or email me at Phil at PowerKidDesign.com. Now go out and make something great. And remember, you are creative because you were created. God bless, and I'll see you next episode.